You know, the reality is I'm just sitting here in a sound booth in a public library. <laughs> and I watched the world go by. I watched President Trump engage in trade wars, immigration, CNN complaining all the time, Fox News basically being Trump's cheerleader. And I wrote the president. I decided to try and do something. But the reality is, I don't know how much good it does to write the president, to write anybody in leadership. But I decided to do this because I got to do something. I mean, it seems like wisdom is just disappearing, just eroding over time. And you have basically political monkeys throwing their metaphorical fecal matter at everybody. And it gets a little tiring. So I'm going to share what I think President Trump should do. And I wrote him. <laughs> so maybe you'll laugh at this. Maybe you'll shake your head. Maybe you'll be like, uh, maybe you'll like it. I don't know. I'm just speaking up and trying to have a voice in the, the mass of people. So what I wrote the president about trade is that, well, right from the start, I said, you need to crush Mexico and you need to destroy China. Let me be clear. What I'm talking about is a metaphorical crushing and destructing of Mexico and China. Now, why Mexico? Because Mexico is corrupt. I mean, I know we're not supposed to say, according to CNN, that there are assholes or the longer version countries around the world. But the truth is, if you have marauders hunting down innocent people, you're living in an asshole country. If you have people raping people, you have you have people who are making your country into an asshole country. I mean, what happened to just calling it as it is? Everybody's afraid to just say, yeah, that country's an asshole. Well, that's the way it is. I mean, when the president deals with the govern governor, uh, sorry, governing body of Mexico, he's not actually talking to the governing body and the representatives. He's, he's talking to a representative of cartels. There's so much corruption. The police are corrupt. The politicians are corrupt. And basically, how do we know that? Because you're, they're sending drugs through Mexico, a huge amount of drugs. So if they're sending drugs, either you're an apt because the amount of drugs they're sending is massive. So either you're just freaking inept or you're in on it. And why wouldn't you be in on it if you're the police? If everything's gone to hell, you might as well get your little piece of the action. So what I said to President Trump is this. I said the first thing he needs to do is identify the Americans and the American businesses. I'm not talking about sectors. I'm not talking about divisions or markets. I'm talking about the individual people. And then he needs to make a plan for them so that they don't lose their house, so that they don't go bankrupt or go homeless or lose their car or not be able to afford to send their kid to school. And once he's figured out who these people are, then he has to make a plan so that if you engage in a trade war with Mexico, 
they're not destroyed. For instance, if you have farmers, you find out if there's alternate trade routes. Of course, that's assuming that you have a domestic market already tapped as much as you can. And since there's around 196 countries on the earth, so that would be uh, minus Mexico and minus the United States, so that's that leaves you with 194 countries to look at selling uh, farm uh, produce to. So you do that, or you look at secondary, like for instance, a farmer needs gasoline, so maybe a business uh, that sells gasoline would be affected if you engage in a trade war. Maybe those people need to be retrained. Maybe you need to find alternate places to sell their fuel. Just make a plan so they're protected when you engage. You don't want your citizens to be collateral damage of a trade war. So then, if it was me, I'd, once I had that plan in place, I'd go have a chat with Mexico. And I'd say, you're paying, you have to pay for the wall. Now, I have no doubt that I believe it's the president of Mexico, would look me in the eye and politely, yet politically, tell me to F myself. And my response, after I finished eating my tacos, because man, I love tacos. Uh, I used to go down and we would build a, a house, quote unquote. It was more like a shed, but it was better than the shanty thing that the people who got to live in the house were living it before, so it was all good. Anyways, they had these 25 cents uh, tacos and I would buy so many of them. Oh, they were so good. Anyways, I digress. So, so when you go into Mexico and you're you're negotiating, they're going to tell you the f yourself when you say that. Well, they tell me if I was the president. But I would calmly say, here's the account numbers. You need to put fifty billion dollars in the account in seven days, and you also need to do five years worth of. Uh, maintenance fees goes into this account and you have five, you have seven days and then I would thank him for his time and leave that would be the end of the conversation and then I wouldn't mention it for seven days and when seven days hit I would tariff everything that came across the Mexican border everything and it would be huge tariffs it would be like a hundred to two hundred percent of whatever is coming across the border basically you engage in an embargo Nothing gets into the United States through trade. Now, like I said, that's going to have a huge impact upon, upon Americans who sell to Mexico because they're going to retaliate. And they're going to retaliate hard, just like brutal. It's going to be like Conan the Barbarian, burying a sword in your skull type brutality. And that's going to be hard, like soybeans and pork and all the rest of the jazz that they sell to Mexico will no longer be sold to Mexico. So as soon as Mexico enacts those revenge tariffs, retaliatory tariffs, then the plan that we were talking about, about before kicks in so that the people of America, the ones that are going to be affected by this trade war, are taken care of. Now the reason I'm saying this is because you need to put Mexico in a position where it's more painful to be bad than it is good. It's as simple as that. You need to bring them into alignment with how you want to you want to work together. And you can't work with somebody you don't trust. And if I was president, you can't trust Mexico. You can't. It is an asshole country. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you're offended. I'm sorry if you got to go run to your safe space or wear pussies on your head. 
I'm sorry. I'm just sorry about everything. Just sorry, 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 sorry. But the truth is, this is the reality. You're so busy worried about what people are saying that you don't deal with the reality on the ground. And the reality is, Mexico is a asshole country. That's the reality. Now, you can argue all you want, but I'm pretty sure that if we said to you, hey, you go down there and live there, you'd be like, no way. I'm not going down there where the, where the marauders are, where people rape women, where get robbed. There's a reason that the people who are coming up from El Salvador and Honduras and Guatemala are coming up basically in gangs of their own because there's strength in numbers. It's like a herd. It's like watching the African channel. You have the predators and then you have the prey and they are moving in a herd. It's like it's like the have you ever watched those YouTube videos where the lion is gnawing on the face of a of a, uh, is it a bison? Oh, I don't think that water buffalo water buffalo. So gnawing on the face of a water buffalo. And then the other people uh, people uh, the other animals in the herd get pissed off and they charge at the lion. That's what's happening. You're literally watching the wildlife channel when you turn on the news. Uh, anyways, so, and why is that? Would that happen in America? How about Canada? How about Britain? Do we actually believe that gangs and, and uh, giant amount of mass of people is going to move through the United States and Canada and Britain? Is, is, that, is that what we believe? Because frankly, I don't see it. I do not see it. Maybe I'm blind. Maybe I'm like, oh yeah, for sure, Canada's gonna have like these people just coming, coming cross. I don't know. I can't even. I can't even picture that. <laughs> I mean, we got Mounties that that from the border like take the luggage of illegal immigrants. Oh, I'll just pack that for you, sir. Don't worry about it. Is there anything else that you need? It's just ridiculous. Anyways, so yeah. You have those people coming up and you need that wall built. So since there's a trade deficit about $60 billion and you're asking for $50 billion, it's kind of in, in Mexico's best interest to pay that for that wall. Now, somebody's going to sit there and go, that wall wouldn't do anything. Well, here's the thing. If you're not Spider-Man or Superman or uh, Wolverine, cut through it or whatever, you're, you're going to walk along that wall till you come to someplace legal. And it's going to cut into human trafficking. It's going to cut into the drug trade. And it's going to cut into people who go into the United States, work illegally, and then send money back to their people in Mexico. It's going to cut into all that. I mean, California is just big one big slave state. So, I mean, it's also going to cut into that. So, so... It is in the best interests of America to build that wall. Then, then you bring Mexico to into a position where they have to decide, hey, do I want to be good? Do I want to be bad? Which is more painful? And what's going to happen is that they'll find alternate trade routes. They will. But they're not going to be as lucrative as the United States because the United States is a big market. 330 million people is not anything to laugh at. Now, 
once Mexico figures out that if they pay the amount, then you take off the, tra uh, the tariffs. The problem is that this is a battle of attrition. It will be who can last the longest. And if Mexico can sustain itself because of political pressure, through the political pressure, then the United States will lose because the United States isn't standing together. It's weak now. And it has to stand together and it has to work to look after the people affected until Mexico breaks. And then you just wait. You wait. You take care of the people in America and then you wait. Now, what about China? Well, China's trying to take over the world. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, look at all the places that China has taken over. And China's been at war with the United States for decades. Before I explain how we know that China has been at war with the United States for decades, I want to explain the mindset of, the, of China. You see, how do I explain it? Okay, so there's two books. Okay, One's the West and one's the East. In the West, it's called On War by Klotzowicz. Now, in the beginning of his book, it changes a bit at the end, but in the beginning of his book, he gives the analogy, the author gives the analogy of two big men getting into the ring and beating the living crap out of one another. That's, that is how we've come to know war. Two sides meeting in battle and pounding the living crap out of one another. But you see, in China's book, The Art of War, uh, credited to Sun Tzu, it has a passage that says this, do not engage your enemy in direct combat unless they give you no other options or they attack you directly. They don't ha they're not going to meet you on the battlefield until they absolutely have to. They will use everything else to beat you. How do we know this? How do we know that Mex uh, sorry, uh, China has been at war with the United States forever, for decades. Well, you look at what they've done, okay? So they've first, I should say that when you look at these things individually, they are not, um, they're not nefarious. They're just there. Like, how do I explain it? Like it might just be business. But when you start to look at all the things that they put together, you see the MO, uh, modus operandus, of of China. I'll give you an example. Okay, so first, they set themselves up as the manufacturing people of, of the world. So we all run, because our greed is only second to our stupidity. We run to China, because globalization is awesome. And we say, here, let me, let me pay for that, and you can build it for me. And you know what? I'm not going to hire any, any uh, manufacturing from my nation. Why is that bad? Well, we know that the middle class sustains a nation. We know that. That's just fact. Because the rich don't want to sustain the nation and the poor can't. So they, they being government, tax the middle class a reasonable rate, quote unquote, and then they sustain the nation. Now, if you take away a section of the middle class, which is what's happening, because the middle class makes up manufacturing, then you start to lose the power of the nation. Now, 
you might be going, well, the company that is the company in America is making more money. Yes, but companies don't have any responsibility to workers. They don't have to. If they could build whatever they're building with a, without people, they would. They do it. So they only have fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders, and shareholders are international. You don't stay in one nation. You're buying from everywhere. That's why globalization is pushed so hard because if you open everything up, then it doesn't matter where you are. Now, that might sound good on the surface, but that isn't how America became strong. It became strong by leading, by running ahead of the pack and saying, come on, let's go, we can go this way. But in the recent years, we've just amalgamated the United States' strength into a collective. So back to China. Sorry, I digressed a little bit, but back to China. So that's the first thing they did. Chip away at your middle class uh, by becoming the manufacturer. The next thing they did is take in a lot of money from the United States, American currency. And the reason this is basically they've weaponized currency of the United States. Let me give you an example. So if you have less money on the market, then your dollar is worth more. So they buy up a lot of American and take it out of play, which then increases, artificially increases the worth of the dollar compared to the yen. Then people, and that makes it more attractive to buy stuff from China. Now, <coughs> if that's the reality and, and we engage in globalization, which means that we're constantly reaching out into other countries past the United States and not not investing in the domestic side of things, then what ends up happening is that if you finally wake up, imagine that the state is a heroin addict and he's laying in the alley and he's got this needle filled with petroleum sticking out of his arm and then, and China's just there pissing on him, got his, got his dick out and he's just like spraying down. Now, now the junkie, the heroin addict, he wakes up and he goes, oh, I don't like to be pissed on. So he gets up the fight, right? Because who in the right nine would lay there while somebody else was pissing on them? But the thing is, <laughs> China's just going to drive their fist right into your face, into the United States' face. Because if you take on China, if you realize that they are a massive human rights violator, that they beat on Tibet, they subjugate Taiwan. They don't give democracy to the people of Hong Kong. They build islands in the South China Sea and tell people to piss off that they own everything. And then they dump a crap load of guns in South Sahara Africa. They are literally taking over the world. And that's not even what they're doing in China, sorry, in Canada. They're buying things up and are and the Trudeau is too stupid to realize that the economy of Canada is fragile and that if you let China buy up too much, we'll be reliant on them. And what that means is that we become the polar opposite to the United States because our reliance is on their economy. And if the United States attacks, and by attacks I mean stands up, it may be uh, sanctions, it may be tariffs, it may be putting destroyers in the South China Sea that push back the incursions. But as soon as 
the United States finally wakes up and does that, China's going to release those funds onto the market. And then what happens? Your dollar crashes. The United States dollar crashes. And its buying power is, is gone. And they didn't even have to fire a torpedo, launch a missile, pull a trigger. And they basically took you out at the kneecaps. Now, the third thing that they did is they're dumping... <laughs> damn. They are dumping a lot of steel on the North American market. Now, why is this bad? Because they're attacking... They can't... Well, until recently, you couldn't put uh, workers from China, even though, interestingly enough, in Sub-Saharan Africa, they're actually making labor zones so that Chinese workers can work in those zones and have different labor laws than the nation itself. I mean, yeah, why not just take over everything? We don't mind. Anyways, so so then you have... <laughs> they're dumping this steel and it attacks the next middle class, the steel producers. And when you do that, then you attack construction. And money flows out, out more, more and more to China. Instead of innovating and automating your systems on the domestic market, you forget about them because why bother? You have this cheap steel that you can use and it can make what you want. And whoever is selling you the cheap steel is investing in their equipment. So why would you put the overhead or the resources needed to innovate? There's no reason. In peacetime, but if the United States ever wakes up and goes, enough, enough of this, stop, then they're going to cut the supply of steel. Then they're going to release the funds and your manufacturing, sorry, the United States' manufacturing and steel production is anemic. And here's the other thing you have to be careful about now, the United States does, is now you have prefab buildings. There's a Sky Mini City. You should look it up. There were 2,700 modules that they built in factories, and they constructed uh, 180,000 square meter building. That is huge, and they didn't put build anything except for the foundation at the spot. Think about that for a minute. Everything was imported. Every module was imported to the job site. So. Literally now, they can attack your construction industry. They can literally come and say, look, we can produce these for cheaper. We'll build this building and yeah, you won't have to worry about it. So they build it in China, ship it to you, and there you go. Meanwhile, another piece of the middle class has been chopped out. So when you look at the whole of China, China is making moves for the last decades, they're patient. But the United States is just whiny. It's just sitting there whining. It needs to come together and take China out. It's a communist nation, for Pete's sakes. Do you remember when um, Reagan stood up and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall? That was historic. The United States was, was a leader. There wasn't any of this, this uh, WTO or EU. It stood up and said, this far and no further. And then it pushed back. 
but it doesn't happen anymore. Now, what I would recommend with China is he Trump, President Trump, stops placing tariffs on Canada, stops placing tariffs on the EU. He's opening up too many fronts in a trade war. I mean, look at it. He's got Mexico, Canada, the EU, uh, Britain, um, and China. That is like five, four or five fronts that you're fighting. You don't do, even in conventional warfare. You don't want five fronts. That's insane. I mean, Germany took two fronts in the war, World War II, and man, that was a hard, hard fight for them. So why wouldn't you do that, especially with your allies? What I would recommend is they're remember you're kicking the crap out of Mexico. Drop the tariffs with Canada. Drop the tariffs, and then use that relationship to while you're dropping the tariffs with the EU and Britain to to ingratiate yourself to them and it, and then switch the topic from money to people. Trump needs to switch it so that he's dealing his his reasoning for doing what he's doing is because of the people. He can say they beat on Ty, uh, Tibet, they subjugate Taiwan. They don't give democracy to the people of Hong Kong and tell his allies that they need to stand with them or they're hypocrites. If they really believe in democracy and freedom and free speech and the rest of it, then they need to stand now for the people. And here's the thing. If you're standing for the people, you will also have an economic benefit after a while. As you force that would be Canada, the United States, and the EU, and Britain. As you force China, they will change, which means that there will be an opening to also negotiate opening their markets to the United States. You can't, you have to fight together. And this is a fight. If you don't stand up, if the United States doesn't stand up and go back to the way it was, which it was a leader, then you're done. Just start speaking Mandarin or Cantonese or something. I mean, read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. I mean, China's playing Go, and <laughs> the United States is barely playing checkers. I mean, they've been at war with you, the United States forever. And you've just been getting pissed on. Anyways, so... I'm going to sign off. These are my thoughts. And uh, have a great day. Okay. Bye-bye.